Previously on the Jay and Dan podcast. I've never been to Algonquin. I've never been to Algonquin Park either. We could take the podcast on the road there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably how COVID started. <laughs> At our Victoria show and someone got bombed and uh, puked in the aisle right before the show started. That was probably the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. That's probably how it started. James Duthie, what do you think? Do you think that that's a pretty sound theory? I, I literally got the last sentence. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea what you're talking about. At least three seasons. Unreal. And then, I don't know if they let the interns or if they let animals start writing the scripts, but it got laughable. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, buddy, we got to go because we we asked Dregs to come do an interview on the show tonight, and he's not happy about it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. They're around our cars. Okay. I need to hear that again. Do you have that to <laughs> drop stuff? There are coyotes around your cars. You're listening to the Jay and Dan Podcast, brought to you by our friends at McDonald's. October 19th, 2020. What a year. Hey guys, don't forget, this is the Jay and Dan Podcast, sponsored by our friends at McDonald's and Coast to Coast Monopoly at McDonald's is on now until November the 9th. Guests can play by peeling game stamps from a variety of participating menu items with one in five chances to win. Don't miss out on millions of prizes that could have you winning big and feeling good, such as the new... 1000 for you and 1000 for the McDonald Ronald McDonald House of Your Choice prize. Head to a McDonald's near you to start playing Coast to Coast Monopoly on now until November the 9th. Great geography lesson. We're learning it every night on the show while we get our game pieces, finding out about national parks we never knew existed. I'm dealing with a problem here. I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone. Um, washed my mask and uh, it smells like a dirty foot. What? That's not a problem that most people have. I don't know what happened. Did you use uh, detergent? <laughs> yes. Oh, and a little tip. Because um, most people, when you wash your mask, you probably forget it's in the washing machine and you put it in the dryer. Put a little sticky note on the front of your washing machine that says mask, and then you don't forget they're in there. There you go. You think people forget that they're... Like, like, wouldn't they forget socks then? It's kind of the same size. Uh, no. Well, I don't know. Certain masks, like I put my kids' masks and they go in the dryer and they shrink, they shrink, they shrink, they shrink to the size of a Barbie. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that for sure. Yeah. So there's a little, uh, washing tip on the Jay and Dan podcast. Maybe you should hang them up to dry in your, uh, in your beautiful, uh, estate out in Orno. You got a clothes well, line here's out there. Well, the, here's the problem. Hang them up. I got this one straight out of the washing machine, so it was still wet. Oh, that's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. That's why it's stinky. <sighs> Not like foot, but it's, uh, I always think it's like that the wet washcloth that dries. Oh, that's disgusting. We, we always used to have a J cloth growing up, and it was replaced once a year. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> it probably was replaced more, but you just look at it, and you're like, ah. Where would the J cloth be? It would be the family J cloth? Sitting in the sink. Just sitting there in standing water. <laughs> Whenever I go to my mom's now, well, when you could go to seniors' homes pre-COVID. Wait, your mom's not in a senior's home, though. Well, she's a senior, and she has a home. <laughs> Guess what, Mom? We're sending you to a home. <laughs> I know COVID's on, and 
There's some questionable care happening in some of these homes. But, but you're going. Every time I go to her house, she's got half a sink full of water in this. I don't, <laughs> Do you think she's trying not to waste water? I guess she's, she's conserving, yes. She's wa- <laughs> That's very strange. I find, like, I try to save water by doing the old, uh, if it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down thing. So, mm-hmm. like all mid-40s guys, I have to pee at least once, twice during the night. And I never flush it. Two reasons. Um, number one, I don't want to wake up the baby who's next to the bathroom. And number two, I'm like, it's just pee. It, let it mellow. It's fine. And then in the morning, I'll go pee again. Then I'll flush it. Every time I hear my wife, I always hear her get up. And if she has to get up with the baby or she has to go to the bathroom. My wife. She'll go down there and I can hear audibly, like down the hallway, I can hear her walk in. It's like, she walks in and then she goes. And then she flushes. The oh, by golly, Jesus. And then she flushes the toilet. She's so mad. So mad at me. I'm like, what does it matter? Well, it depends on if you're taking... Like, if I take a vitamin C or something and you take a, a pee after that, you can't leave that thing sitting around because it looks like you've got something wrong with you. But it does it smell bad? Well, it's very, very yellow. <laughs> it's, like, it's like... But it's not like a... Like, I'm not going to take a... There and then be like, Oops, sorry, babe. Just flush it next time. We've discussed this before. Um, in public uh, bathrooms. And do people purposely not flush them because they want to show off their work? Or have you had this happen to you recently? No, I don't, I don't ever open a stall door because I've done it like three times in my life and almost puked every time. Yeah, I feel like you, you are the ro- you're the wrong person to ask about this because you never go to public restrooms. But I will say, okay, two things about that. <laughs> Number one, I actually don't think that. Generally, I mean, there's for sure there's a sociopath out there who's just in every public toilet he can and, and leaving the coil in there for people to see. No question. I'm not questioning that. What I what I would say, though, is what you're mostly getting there is you're getting people who take a gigantic and then go to flush it. It just doesn't flush. And then they throw they do that thing where they're like, I got to cover it up. So they throw like all this toilet paper on top of it kind of to cover it. And then other people piss on the toilet paper. And that's, uh-huh. a, men, that's a men's restroom in a nutshell. So I went to, uh, speaking of toilets, my toilet seat broke <laughs> in our powder room. So in our main floor uh, like washer. Like it cracked in half? It just, yeah. One of the, um, what do you call it, the hinges or whatever just snapped. Because, I don't know, I'm probably leaning. And uh, anyway, so I'm like, all right, I got to go get a new one. So I go to the Home Depot, the stockyards, and downtown. And in a new lid. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I, I'm like, I pre-ordered it. They're like, yeah, we got it. And I get the one with the little, the kid uh, toilet in the middle. Yep. It flops down. So I got my thing. And then, but it's like 10 in the morning. I've had coffee. I've had, you know, yogurt, toast. And I didn't go to the bathroom before I left the house. And I look up at the Home Depot and I, you know, in the ceiling and I see washrooms this way. I'm like, I got to do it. I'm feeling like it's gurgling a bit. I better, I better go take a crunch here at this Home Depot. And what I realized when I started to approach the restroom at the very back of the Home Depot is that this Home Depot, and I'm sure all Home Depots are like this, it's the epicenter of Toronto contractor morning <laughs> Like, all Home Depots, those public men's restrooms, 
is just old uh, dudes who just came to pick up some lumber for that, you know, that project they're they're doing for that family. But man, I got to take a crunch and I'll just do it. So there were three stalls. I had no shot of getting in either of them. And then I was as I'm walking out. Like, then I kind of stand outside the were washroom, you, like you, I'm in line, and a guy comes up to me, he's like, is this a lineup? I'm like, no, go in, like, this, if you're pissing or whatever. And then I just left. I couldn't do it. Like were this. you carrying the toilet seat the whole time? Yep. <laughs> so people are probably like, oh, this guy's going to replace the toilet seat in there. That's wild. At the Home Depot. He must be good. Anyway, long story short, I did not, I did not partake. But you always talk about how the airport washroom is the most vile it's like hell's waiting room yes i would argue that that washroom was worse (laughs) right we're talking like just like crusty old contractor dudes after four or five coffees oh yeah right and it's just like it was greasy breakfast it was gross it was just nasty in there so i got out of there pretty quick (laughs) so that's my mornings in downtown toronto wasn't there an artist Part of her rider was she had to have a new toilet in her dressing room, a new toilet or a new, a new toilet, toilet seat, seat, which is brilliant. That's actually pretty smart because they're not that expensive. No. It's just more of a pain in the ass, I guess, for the venue to replace it. But yeah, I kind of, now that I think about it for our next tour, like we could have used... In a, Vancouver. In Vancouver, we could have used a toilet seat. <laughs> Forget about a new one at the Vogue <laughs> Theater. We could have used something other than the cold bottom of the bowl to squat on. You know what you never see anymore? Um, when you'd go to like a, an older relative's house and they had the, the padded toilet seat. Yes. You don't see those or anymore. Your gran- I, like my grandmother, I remember, always had that. Very comfy. They were very comfy. Why did those go away? Unsanitary? Maybe? Probably because the urine would seep into seep the padding. Seep into the padding, into the cracks around the padding. Yeah, I guess that's true. I'd almost be willing to accept the mold and the festering disgustingness in favor of me being more comfortable in the middle of the night, you know, when I'm going pee-pee. You know, it's one of the most disgusting things that was in bathrooms up until recently. You remember the, the cloth where you dry your hands and you pulled down the cloth oh, and, it, yeah. and yeah. it would just circulate it inside? That thing was a cess. That's where COVID started. Yeah. So how did that work when it got to the end and they just removed it? I don't think it ever got it? removed. So but, I think, yeah, but it wouldn't be like dirty coming around. I think it just keeps circulating no, inside and there they might had be a to clean, clean device. They had to clean it at some point, did they? That was pretty disgusting now that I think about it. I used to work at a gas station, uh, one of my first jobs, when someone would come in and ask for the key. I'm like, I'm not going back. I'm not, oh. I'm not checking on that bathroom when they're done. Mm-mm. But then, like, it's two, there's two sides of it. Because it is just disgusting. All public restrooms are just disgusting. But then there's those times when you have no choice, where you have to use it. Um, like, the best public restrooms by far are giant... Uh, mall department store public restrooms. That's the holy grail. Oh, yeah. They're great. God, they're they're always someone cleaning it. Immaculate. Uh, beautiful. So, yeah, if you're in a mall, that's where you want to head first. You want to go to the Bay or Nordstrom's or whatever. Hopefully, uh, no one's eating during this conversation. Oh, Manny's on the line, so he's heard us talking about taking a <laughs> in public restrooms for the last <laughs> two minutes or so. Manny Osborne Parody recently retired Canadian Alpine legend joins us on the show. Um, you've probably seen some 
You've been all over the world. You've seen the the best and the worst of uh, this is what I'm walking into, hey? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have seen some really bad ones. You know what? Like, there's some ski resorts where, you know, it's just it's just a hole and slippery tiles, which, you know, is not a good equation for ski boots. Right, right. The ski boots situation, not good. Have you, did you ever, Manny, at any point when you were competing, and you don't have to say it was no, if it was number one or number two, but at any point did you just... Just relieve yourself in your uh, snowsuit, your ski suit. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, for sure. There was, uh, <laughs> when, when I was a kid. I mean, how 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 can I not you know say this? The 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 trip from Creekside all the way to the village was a it's a, like a long cat track, and there was a phase in my life where it was just too long in ski schools or whatever. I have no idea, but I just remember my mom getting mad at me all the time because I would pee in my one piece suit <laughs> and I could never get all the way over to the village uh, for lunch without peeing in my suit. And it, it must've been a phase for a month or something that I was peeing in my suit like every day. Oh, that's beautiful. Manny. So <laughs> you're walking away from the sport. How many bones did you break during your career? Oh, not too many, not too no? many. Okay. Uh, I, no, I did. I, my left leg took a, a, a bunch of bruises for sure. I, I broke it twice. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of it. I, I blew my knee. Um, I had some back issues. I needed a PRP injection that actually really went well. Um, you know, a couple bangs of the head, but nothing really that big of a deal. And. Um, uh, you know, nothing, nothing like that took me out of the sport for, for prolonged length of time. And, uh, and that was kind of it. I mean, I think, you know, you're lucky as a downhill speed skier cause you're, you're, you're generally not injured until you fall over and then you're usually really injured. Right. So it's more about not falling over that often and then you're fine. And when you fall, do you, do you let your body go limp or you try? Yeah. You try to, you try. Um, lots of times, I mean, there's lots of G-forces and there's, there's pressures pulling your body every which way, so there's not much you can do. So just going limp and, and uh, just letting, the, letting yourself hit the net, um, however, is, is definitely the best course of action. But, uh, yeah, yeah, easier said than done. Absolutely. <laughs> Manny, how long have you been pondering retirement and, and how tough of a decision was it for you? Uh, I wasn't really, I mean, man, I mean, as far as the idea of retiring, um, you know, it crossed my mind here and there. I mean, through my injury and even before the injury, I mean, you know, there's, it's, it, it's more of a grind every year, the older I got and, and getting into the, the headspace of needing to do these, these crazy, uh, things on skis every year. But, um, but I, you know, I, during their rehab, I mean, I, I was kind of, I was dedicated. I mean, it really what got me through every day. But uh, just one day, it kind of flipped the switch. I, I, I random, you know, people have been telling me to watch Weight of Gold, um, uh, and I and I watched that show. And, and I never watched TV before before uh, my workouts. It was just random. My daughter was up super early, and I was watching that, so I decided to watch it. Uh, before I went to the track, and I and then I, you know, it was a pretty pretty heavy show, and I, uh, I'm not sure if you guys have watched it or not, but it's heavy, and um, and then I got up to the track, and it was just kind of going through my head, and we do these one kilometer sprints, which are really like the worst thing that you're going to do the whole year, 
um, as far as skiing or anything. And uh, halfway through uh, my second set of sprints, I did, literally just started walking, and I thought, you know, I I think I don't, I just don't have um, any more effort to give to to this. This is this is there's too many roadblocks. Uh, you know, COVID put a lot. Uh, um, a couple roadblocks in there, you know, trying to figure out a bubble in Europe, you know, all of the above. And then just just the, the energy for skiing I had, but the energy, you know, to, to overcome all the the um, the battles that were going to um, ensue with, uh, you know, with, with getting a, a program that was going to be what I needed during COVID. And I was just like, you know, this is this is this is it. And I made the decision in, a, in an instant. So I guess it was an instant that it took. Well, you must have had friends and family after you made the announcement said, thank God, because we can't watch you go down the hill again because it's too nerve-wracking. <laughs> well, <laughs> because because I would watch I you in races. Phone. I would watch you, and I'm I'm nervous for you. I'm nervous for any Canadian going down there, any racer. Did they, well, did they come nice. to you, and did they say, okay, yes, now we can finally relax? Oh, my mom. My blood is my mom. My mom, like, literally every year, she'd be like, so that was your last season, right? <laughs> and you're like, what are you talking about, Mom? Like, <laughs> you're not helping me here. You're not helping my cause. But uh, everybody was so supportive. Uh, you know, they understood. I think nobody, there was a lot of people that really didn't like watching me race. Um, you know, I didn't really like watching the race either. You know, it's it's totally different when you're, when you're there and it's in the moment and, and it's your time and you've, you've worked a, worked up, you know, the whole year of training, but also just that week of mental energy and the video and everything to do one race and the amount of visualization and everything. It's, it's, not, um, it's not as difficult when, when you're in control and you've done all this prep, but uh, when you only take two minutes out of your day to watch a run, <laughs> it's nerve-wracking. Mm-hmm. And also you're just not in... in uh, in control of anything so yeah it's uh yeah my poor mom <laughs> She's the most relieved for sure. now she yeah. can chill now she can chill out um manny what uh what's next what's next for manny well um i i don't really know i you know i i would love to i you know i i the, i would love to influence change in my sport um for for better um i would hope uh, um but i think um right now I'm, I'm i'm going to school i'm just uh i'm going to finish my business degree i felt like that i i that was a good transitional thing to do take some time uh you know it's online it's it's at home I've lots of time to hang out with my kids and you know play some golf in the summer ski in the winter uh you know i've got lots of relationships um and hosting and all that stuff that I'll still do uh, on the mountain. So, you know, I'll be, I'll definitely be busy. And then, uh, yeah, like long-term, I, I, you know, I'd love, like this sport has given me so much and I'd love to get back to it. I'd love to figure out how we can inspire uh, another, a next generation of skiers and create a culture of winning and just figure out, um, you know, a pipeline system. It's really hard in Canada with, um, you know, such a, such a, big country and you know spread out ski racing from from far ends of 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 either end of the of the country it's really hard to get everybody on the same page and get a real good culture going and uh and you know get that going and and um 
Is that what you're, Manny, is that what you were talking about when you said you wanted to influence change? Or is there something else that you feel like the sport is lacking right now? Uh, no, I think I think that that's that's pretty much what I mean. I mean, I think you know it's 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 tough because you know it's it's there's goals that um, you know there's end goals like we all want Olympic medals. That's kind of the end goal. On the podiums, there they've got their mandate. Everything's good, but the steps to getting there, um, you know, we're, it, we're, there's pieces of, of that puzzle that are, are missing. And I think you know Alpine Canada has done such a great job over the last couple of years. Of figuring out how to how to reassess where we're where we're ending up, and um, we've got a great new board and and uh, a new president, and everything looks on the up and up. But um, and you know, actually having Eric Gay uh, as a board member has really helped. Um, we have a very powerful board. Eric's a good influence, and they've got some great uh, consult on there. But I think they. They, they they still need somebody with with all this experience to to help it on the actionable causes and uh, and you know I'd love to just be a part of that. I mean I think um, the, my attitude and my spirit of winning is still there uh, just because I can't do it personally. I think I, I'd love to to help the the younger guys do it because you know we've got we've got good programming, we've got good mountains, we've you know ski racing is such a wicked sport and uh, and we've got the fundamentals to to just bring up the next, the next group and, and have another decade and a half of, of results. Yeah, keep the Canadian Cowboys going. Hey, um, let's uh, let's do a bit of rapid fire so we can uh, right. cram a bunch of things in here. So you went to four Olympics, uh, Italy, Vancouver, Sochi, Pyeongchang. Which was your favorite Olympic experience of those four? Without a doubt, Vancouver. Vancouver, yes. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite mountain to ski on? Like race. Ooh. Race uh, favorite race is Valgardena in Italy. Top speed you ever reached? Uh, I believe it was one fifty, but it might have been like one forty nine point nine or point eight. Are you ever in control going that speed, or are you just hanging on for dear life? <laughs> uh, oh, that's a tough one. I think you're kind of in between. Uh, anything can happen, but you're kind of. I would say you're 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 mildly in control. Mild. I'm on my little bunny hill, and I hit a little patch of ice. You hit a patch of ice going um, over 100 kilometers an hour. What's going through your head? Well, the faster you go through, the, the less you of that patch of ice you hit. Yeah, very, very smart. Hidden Science, gem, yeah. hidden gem of a, a ski area in Canada that people might not know about. Oh, uh, I would say uh, Whitewater and Nelson. Hmm. Nelson. Okay. Sorry, everybody in Nelson that doesn't want people to know <laughs> <Why>? about it. <laughs> why, why is that, Manny? Why, why Whitewater? Oh, man. It, I mean, it's tough to get to, and, it, you know, it's, 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 uh, it just gets so much snow. Mm. It just gets tons of snow there, and it's such a beautiful mountain, and, uh, and it's got, it's just, it's one of those places, you know. It's, it's good inbounds, it's good out of bounds, it's like everything about it is good. Your favorite teammate you ever had? Ooh, uh, uh, probably my, my best bud, Robbie Dixon. Can't, I, I can't see anybody else being my favorite when he's my best bud. <laughs> um, taking out Vancouver, what was your favorite Olympic experience not related to your sport that you witnessed? Because you get to see a lot when you go to the Olympics. Oh, man. Um, I think uh, James Sabalski 
and and I um, had a mutual buddy, and he uh, um, and he they owned the Vogue Theater, and we actually we went on the roof uh, during one of the shows. There was there was a concert we were at at the at the end of my competitions, and we went on the roof, and it was during one of the hockey games, and the sea of people uh, coming down Granville was unbelievable. Just like such a sight to see and to be there in real life and. To be up on that on that roof was was like it, it was something probably I'll never I'll never witness again. Did you have to use the bathrooms at the Vogue Theater? We were just discussing them, man. They weren't pretty. We were discussing the bathrooms at the Vogue. Yes, we were. We 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 performed, and I I put that in quotations. We performed at the Vogue in uh, the fall when you could still do that kind of thing. We did our podcast there live, and uh-huh. uh, and let's just say. That the restrooms need a reno. <laughs> they were missing well, toilet seats. They were missing. Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the why you go to the Vogue, though, is because <laughs> it's been upkept, but upkept with old stuff. You know, it's old attire. It's like a new carpet, but it's the it's the same vintage. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it, it felt very vintagey in there. Oh yeah, in a good way. In a, in a good way. It was a great theater. It was a great theater. Um, but I just remember trying to turn on like taps and having the tap <laughs> pull, it, it, like it would left would be left in my hand. <laughs> it would pull right off the sink. And I'm, I'm not sure that's that's the experience I think that lots of people are paying the big bucks for. So I'm not really. <laughs> yeah. I think I think there's people at home right now wondering how how they haven't experienced this place already. <laughs> Uh, and final question, when did you feel the most Canadian, uh, considering you represented Canada for your entire career? At what moment was it the first time ever walking into an Olympic stadium with all your teammates standing on top of a hill? Where was it where you're like, holy shit, I can never recapture this feeling. It's just unreal. Oh, man, that's such a great question. I've never been asked that. Finally, the best question comes to me at the end of my career. <laughs> um I would say uh, my first win. Um, I was in uh, Norway, and um, uh, I, during that win, my, my grandpa had passed away a little bit earlier than that, and he used to sing uh, the national anthem super loud whenever we watch like Jays games or whatever. <laughs> and he would always cheer loud at all the races and everything. And he had just passed away, and I won my first race. And they played the national anthem when, when the flag was going up, and I just belted the national anthem and sung super loud. And it was a makeup race for um, for Garmish, and uh, and so it was on a Friday, and there was nobody there, nobody. Like <laughs> there must have been a hundred people there, and I sung that, sang the national anthem so loud, and I was just so proud to be Canadian, and just so proud to get the first time in my career to lift that flag. That's so awesome. And final question, which answer to your final, no, no, final, uh, final. No, uh, which um, which ski fans could drink Canadians under the table? Hmm. Well, you know the Euros are pretty good at it. Um, <laughs> I think. Uh, I mean, probably out of all the Europeans, yeah, the it's it's between. The Swiss, Austrian, and German, and I don't really want to give anybody the gold medal for it because I feel like it, it depends on what what groups you're traveling there. I've seen I've seen a many uh, fallen over at the base of the mountain, not being able to get out of their out of their uh, slush pit that they've created. <laughs> 
Amazing. Manny, um, you're awesome. You're always uh, welcome here. Um, and if you're looking for stuff to do, I'm pretty sure you'd be a pretty damn good broadcaster if you chose hey, to go that route. Enough. Well, I, I, I had uh, considered it at, at one time, but you know what? I uh, Coming from you guys, well, one of you anyways. Um, <laughs> I don't feel the know? same way, Manny. I disagree, but I was staying silent. <laughs> you know, 50% got me through a lot of things, you know, especially high school, so I'll take it. <laughs> No, I think you'd be amazing at it. Uh, we just need to uh, we just need to get the the Olympics back here. We need to yeah, we got to get rid yeah, of that, that COVID. That's a, that's, a, that's a yeah, COVID. Uh, you know, the Olympics just are created so much vibe in our country. I mean, what yeah. what a crazy chance that was. I mean, all the stars to align. Literally, like that was my my home hill. I had trained on that hill my whole life. Um, you know, it was it was just like it was such a magical moment. I mean, really, I. I had prepared as well as I could have, other than I hadn't really compared for the nerves, uh, or prepared for the nerves. And right. uh, what a what a what an, what an insane uh, experience! I mean, Vancouver was just like no other. It was cool. It was cool. Thanks, Manny. Hey, you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Congrats on an awesome career, buddy. Cheers. Take care, buddy. There he is. There he is. All right, Manny Osborne parody, and then we go from one. Uh, Vancouverite to another Vancouverite because we're going to call up our good friend Ray Ferraro uh, and talk a little. Uh, well, we'll talk everything. We'll ask him how he's doing, what's going on. I want to know if uh, in his playing days, if it was in his contract that said no skiing allowed. Probably, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it seems like professional sports contracts, have, they have so much of that language written in. The only thing with Ray... Uh, and I can say this before he gets on the line. Like, he's old. Like, I don't know if, was it written in back then? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not so sure. I want to talk to him about, because uh, he's in Vancouver. He's inundated with Vancouver hockey news. And uh, the Vancouver fans were not too happy with how things went for their team over the course of free agency. So I'm curious to get his take on that. And uh, I, wonder if, I wonder if Ray did any games with Doc Emmerich. Mike Emmerich uh, retired today. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get his thoughts on the Sens. I like what the Sens have done. Yeah. I think I think uh, Dorian, you know, he's done a really really good job. Actually, I like the guys they've signed, and I think they look. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs, but should be a lot more competitive next year. And uh, I love DJ Smith as a coach too. Yeah, he's great. Former uh, coach of the Oshawa Generals. Cool cat. Real cool guy. Like him a lot. So, yeah, we'll get his, we're going to get his, takes, uh, his take on all the Canadian NHL teams and what everyone's up to. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk to Ray about that. Okay. It looks like Stoff is uh, on the phone. Um, he's talking to him. He's like, uh, he's like oh, oh, it's I, happening, boys. I did. Oh, you've got him? I, oh, he's, he's like, I didn't second. agree to this. <laughs> uh, who are you? Who's Jay and Dan? <laughs> Um, don't ever call me at this number again. These are the kinds of things that are being said to Stoff right now. Uh, now Stoff's going to... Which, which Olympics to did you like better? We didn't go to Italy. We went to Vancouver, so that we already know we both love Vancouver. Sochi, Pyeongchang. You like Pyeongchang over oh, Sochi? Oh, God. I like yeah. a country mile. Was- hey, um, Ray. 
Yes. <laughs> we, were just, <laughs> we were just talking to Manny Osborne Parody, who just uh, retired from skiing, and um, we were wondering, when you played, was it written into your contract that you weren't allowed to ski? No, but it, um, no, I, you know what, that was kind of a, that was probably in a clause down near the bottom there somewhere that said, if you get hurt, basically it said, if you get hurt doing something other than playing hockey, you don't get paid. Right. Okay. So, you know what, like, I grew up in a ski area in British Columbia. I never skied. I was always terrified of getting hurt. Wait, so do you, now, do you ski now, like with the kids? Do you guys head up to Whistler and just No, Cammy skis. Oh, okay. Cam, so Cammy and Riley, our oldest, they ski. Um, Reese is more like me. It's too much of a bother. Like, it's too cold, and you got to get up there. <laughs> we're not skiing. Forget You're delicate. It. You're too delicate for that. That's I think a... so. I think so. I'm, we went one time, and by the time we got from the parking lot to the bottom of the hill, I was like, I'm never doing this again. This is, like, way too much work. Oh, it's fun. It's so fun, though. It's a, it's a great sport for a family, though, because when you the kids are young, you put them in ski school. Then they're a little older, and they still like you. They'll ski with you. And then when they're too cool to hang out with you, they're still, you know, they're still kind of contained on this hill, mm-hmm. right? They still... Okay, but here's the thing I don't get about skiing. So you, you, get, on, you get in the left, you go to the top. Yeah. You slide to the bottom. Yep. You get in the lift. You go to the top, and you slide to the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm failing to see, other than you're in a beautiful place. Like, what's the point? <laughs> you get, it's an adrenaline rush. Yeah, that's the thing. And here's the other thing that makes skiing great. Because if you take your kids to baseball practice or hockey practice, you stand there like a lug and just watch. If you take right. them to skiing, you get to take part in it. So that's why I like them to play golf. Yeah, so we can go okay, play that's golf smart. Together. Yeah, that's, that's smart. That's and smart. and at least there's a point. You hit the thing down and <laughs> knock it in the hole. Ray, I used to say the exact same thing, and then I took it up last year, and I just fell in love with it. You it's know, not, okay. So here's, here's another. As I continue to build my case for not skiing, um, <laughs> I just got a knee replacement three weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, right. And so I, I'm going to have to bail on uh, this winter. Right. Even though I don't have any gear or anything else, I'm going to say it's my knee that's going to prevent me from skiing. Yeah. Before your surgery, did you ever play pickup hockey still or none no. of that either? No. No. I, I, I know, like, lots of guys, like the Canucks alumni is a really strong group. Like, lots of guys that used to play, they play once a week, and apparently it's lots of fun. I've never found it something that I, I really want to do. When, whenever... You know, I mean, I'm pretty. It's pretty rare. I mean, my wife, of course, played as much as me. We go play in some event, and we're like, "Oh, that's so fun! We should do it again." And then three years go by, and we <laughs> never do it. And so, like, I think the reason is because I get, I get on the ice, and I suck. Like, I'm terrible. And I'm like, man, I don't. I used to be way better than this. I don't <laughs> want to do that. And so, I find something else to do. So, I've never really done it much. That's fair. That's fair. Plus, you're kind of busy. Like, you're flying all over the continent. Well, when we can do that. Yeah. You know, the last time I was in a plane was March 13th. Wow. Right before. Right before everything. Cre- right before yeah. um, Rudy Gobert. Well, actually, it was the night. So, Gobert touched all the mics. Um, I was in Toronto for a game on March the... What was it? March the 10th and March the 12th. 
and Gobert touched the mics on the 11th. The league got paused on the 12th, and I flew home on the 13th, and that was it. And my my 10-year-old made me a little poster when I came in the door, and uh, it said, you know, awesome to have you home for the next month. <laughs> it's been seven. Yeah, Cammy's pushing me out the door here, but there's nowhere to go. Yeah. Be- before they shut everything down, did you hear any rumblings? Did you ever expect it to get to the point it did? Okay, uh, Bruce Arthur, the columnist. Yep. Um, we were, it was in January or maybe early February. And, you know, the there had been just a few stories about this virus out of China. And, um, you know, and I, I'd never heard of Wuhan before. And as February rolled along, Bruce told me, he goes, this is going to be bad. Yeah. And I, you know, at that time, I was like, well, we're just talking about the flu, right? And he's like, no, it's not. He goes, from what everybody that I'm talking to understands, it's going to be far more, you know, far more detailed or far more widespread than that. Oh, he came and on then, our podcast, Ray, and terrified the hell out of every listener. Oh, my God. I, I told him, I go, like, Bruce, I don't even want to talk to you anymore. I, I, I think Bruce is awesome, but I never wanted to talk to him again. No. And, and it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Like, in that span of time, what's happened to, to all of us, to all of our lives, to... I mean, just the way that you do everything, you like everything you look at now, I don't know about you guys, but I can't look at it the same. Like I went and voted today. There's a, uh, the provincial election coming up right? and you go in and you take a pencil that are all laid out on the, on the table. Um, you vote, you put the pencil in this thing that they cleanse before somebody else uses it. You know, like you're like, everything is just like eight more steps to do and you're like man i like i can't believe we're here yeah yeah we're all much cleaner yeah maybe we are (laughs) i will say without question dan i've washed my hands more in the last seven months than i have in the last seven years well how dry like how uh sore are your hands get so sore they're so dry oh (laughs) i felt like i was shedding skin (laughs) after a while it's like you know because you're like and then there's the one thing that can you know, sing the happy birthday song twice. That's right. Yeah. That's what we can do so, with the kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I thought, no, I was doing it with me. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that whenever we have a top 10 and we have uh, clips from uh, past years when, when uh, people were in the stands, I just look at it now. I'm like, everyone's breathing on each other. Yeah. Disgusting. Oh, you, are you watching the World Series at all, guys? Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, it hasn't started yet. Well, it starts Tuesday. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, the, the championship series. It's so, been good. Like, somebody hits a home run. Uh, Bellinger hits a home run, and Cammy's half paying attention, and she's like, there's people there. Yeah. Like, it's just so weird to see people in the stands. Yeah, there's been 11,000 at the games in Texas. Well, right. I, I come, even coming out to BC from here, Ray, like, I went to visit my folks in Kelowna in August, and it, it's, it was way less locked down than Toronto because we had more cases in Toronto, and that was even shocking to me to go into, like, the Savon and see half the, only half the people masked up compared to here where it was, like, mandatory. Like, they, they literally put it into... It, it, is, it is something, isn't it? Like, that. look, I don't know, you know, everybody's got their own opinion, and they're, you know, do this, do that, and I believe this, and I don't believe that. I don't know about you guys, but when somebody that has spent the last 50 years of their life in epidemiology, 
says, I think we should wear masks, then I just wear a mask. Yes. I figure they probably know way more than me. Yeah, it's not yeah, that hard. Yeah, I don't know why it's so hard. I don't, I don't understand without getting into a whole thing is that why can't they just say, hey, if you're underneath a roof, wear a mask? That's what Germany did right from the beginning. Merkel said, inside mask, outside, you're good. And that was the end of it. And they did it. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure why we didn't uh, do that. But anyway, I digress. But we were in, we were in strange times, man, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, hey, can By we the get way, in? one thing oh. I have learned, I will say, is my ineptitude setting up a camera in my house <laughs> is really quite remarkable. You'd think after all this time I would get it right. Today we had to tape the World Junior stuff. Right. And uh, uh, Nick, our IT guy, who's poor guy, is running around oh like crazy, God. getting all us knuckleheads up to speed. He's like, okay, um, make sure the HDMI cord's plugged in. And I'm like, huh, we found the problem. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what an idiot I am. He's got to deal with Every time we're on, I'm like, Nick, I don't have a picture. And it's always like... Turn the camera on. And he what says it so so calmy. He has like a very... We're talking about Nick Caroli, who's our technical producer here, who basically set up all these studios at home for us remotely. And again, like not just you, Ray. Like I'm a total Luddite. Uh, I know Dan is. Like he's got such a bedside manner with us as talent because we have never had to do anything like this before. So it's how, not about only, when he li- how about when he lies to us and says, yeah, yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's And you know he's, he's like... I can't believe I'm telling this guy this again. Yeah. yeah. No, he's, he's, he, I, I said to uh, Stu Johnston and our, the president of the network that I know times are tough for us, but Nick probably deserves a triple <laughs> raise on his salary. <laughs> whatever, whatever you think Nick deserves, it's more. <laughs> exactly. But they, the, the NHL, every NHL team needs a Nick to talk to the GMs and to the coaches who do these Zoom calls, and it's pointed, the camera's pointed up their nose, or the audio's horrible. Like, just just figure it out, guys. Because, hey, these interviews are easier now. We're actually getting players quicker after games because they just hop in front of a camera, they're done, they're out. We're getting more access to GMs, I think, now. They just need to figure out how to how to well, shoot it at home. You, yeah, you need somebody to, to tell you, because the first shot that I set up, you know, I've got my thing all set up there, and he's like, yeah, pretty good, Ray. Uh, need the camera closer. Need you to move left. Need you to pan down. Like, he corrected 11 things. <laughs> but he started out with, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. He's a true, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's very good. Nick, we're, we're lucky to have him. Hey, Ray, um, uh, so starting off in Vancouver, uh, seemed like kind of a, a rough go. In terms of the fan reaction to the initial free agency Few days. Do you think that's a, a bit of an understatement? Would you say? Oh boy, there was. Um, I don't want to say it felt like, um, you know, a catastrophe, but it felt like what is going on here. You know, the the only thing that's happening is we're bleeding players in Vancouver, and you know they they made a quick move, which I thought was a good move in in signing Braden Holtby because they got to a certain point with. Uh, with Jacob Markstrom, where obviously it became apparent they weren't going to get it, him signed, and you don't want to be sitting around there thinking too much, and then you're you're left with an empty chair, and all the guys that you really want are gone. So, you know, in in Vancouver's case, they saved given Markstrom's salary to Holtby's, 
They saved about $2.5 million a year. I don't think Holpe's as good as Markstrom, but he's a reasonable facsimile. And so I was like, you know, that's okay. And then it felt like nothing happened. Then they, I'll tell you what ended up kind of, I won't say saving them, but renewing the enthusiasm a little bit was the trade for Nate Schmidt. Yeah. And so, you know, Nate's a good player. He's a big personality. The people are going to really like him out here. But you can't, you can't look at the Canucks roster today and say it's as good as the Canuck roster leaving the bubble. It's just not. You know, they lost Stetcher. They lost Tanev, um, Markstrom, um, they, they, uh, and Toffoli. Yeah. And they, they brought in, you know, as, as of now, uh, they brought in Schmidt and and, Mar- and uh, Holtby. You know, one doesn't equal the other. They they lack depth, but they're like a lot of teams, guys. They're stuck cap wise. Like, oh my god! Like you Vegas, know, like, how, man, how is Vegas going to do it with two goals? Like, how's how do they not trade Flurry? They got to find somebody. Well, okay, but so it's like, yeah, they should trade him. Where? Mm-hmm. Nobody like, wants to help him out. Like, if anything, Vancouver kind of helped Vegas out by. Taking Schmidt, and I think he's a great player. Don't get me wrong, but um. well, but that's that's the type of deal you need to be able to make. Is that you know for Vancouver it just costs a third round pick, yeah. but in two years, not even like now. So they traded a third round pick and they get a legit top four defenseman. And Vegas, you know, had to decide between you know do we keep Nate Schmidt and everybody else, or do we bring in Alex Petrangelo? And that's the decision they made. But as for Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, there's only so many teams that are going to need goaltending. I'm, I'm sure Edmonton looked at it yeah. and went, well, wait a minute, he makes $7 million. Even if we get them to keep $3.5 million, half, which is the limit, we're going to be paying $8 million to our goaltending with a team mm-hmm. that, that doesn't have any cap room. Yeah. And, you know, like Montreal was able to do it because they had all kinds of cap room with Jake Allen. So they're like, they got a $4 million backup. You know, so lots of games, you've got $4 million wearing a ball hat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they had cap room, so they could do it. Most teams just can't. And well, so he, Vegas is going to have to work around this for the next two years. Um, getting back to Vancouver, were you able to uh, confirm or deny the rumor about Jim Benning falling asleep on a phone call? Uh, it was with Stetcher or Tanev? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Yeah, I read in one of the interviews, they said, yeah, uh, there was just silence, and then someone said, yeah, he fell asleep. <laughs> yes. I, I, I'm going to vote no okay. on that. Like, I, I'm assuming... That seems like I'm a fan reaction. That, you know, there were, yeah, that there were, you know, somebody would have said, oh, he must have been asleep, but... <laughs> I, I, I'm weird. assuming no, guys. I'm assuming. <laughs> you, let's go back to Montreal, Ray, because they seem, out of all the Canadian teams, they certainly did the most. Bergevin did the most, and I really I like the things that he did. I, I think um, I thought going into you know the off season, it's just so weird to say that you know given the timing of the year. But I, I thought Montreal was poised to be uh, one of the teams, one of the very few teams in the NHL. To, uh, to be able to make themselves better faster. Uh, they had cap room. They had a boatload of draft picks. And they had a decent team um, with some holes that you could target shop for. And I, I think the biggest, uh, 
the biggest advantage teams have in free agency is that when they target shop, you're not like trying to plug 25 different holes. You're just like Tampa last year. They wanted to get bigger and stronger. So they were able to Pat Maroon shop, mm-hmm. Zach Bogosian shop, Blake Coleman shop, um, Barkley Goudreau, all the same size players, big players, strong players. They could target shop. So Montreal, they, they had to ease carry Price's workload. Jake Allen. They need to get bigger on the back end. Joel Edmondson. They had to have a, uh, uh, a stronger, powerful forward. Josh Anderson. They needed a scorer. Tyler Toffoli. It's like they target shopped, and they were able to get it done all because they had those picks, and they had the cap room. And I, I, thought, I thought it was Mark Bergevin's best month yeah. as a general manager uh, is in Montreal. I love the Toffoli pickup. And speaking of Bergevin, have you ever seen or heard a GM get that emotional when speaking about a player when he was talking about Brandon Gallagher? I'd never seen it in my entire time covering no, sports. No, not like that. No. Um, look, I've, I've known Brendan for a long time. He's from Vancouver here. And he is uh, he's an 11 out of 10 as a kid. Um, his, his work ethic is... It's almost comical how hard he works. Like, you'd, you'd be at a summer skate, and you'd be like, okay, Gally, drill's over. <laughs> right? Like, he just, he just works and works, and um, it's infectious how, how he leads. Like, some guys lead with great speeches, and some guys lead with how they play. And when he got called up, I was on, in, uh, on the radio in Montreal with Mitch Melnick, and... Um, who is just fantastic. And, and he said, so what can you tell us about Gallagher? I said, look, I don't know if this kid's ready uh, quite yet, but the people in Montreal are going to love him, and once he gets set, he's not going to leave. So I, I can see the connection that he has made to the people in Montreal, to the team, and by extension to, to Burge. And then, boy, Pierre Dorian took a lot of heat, and that's a thankless job in a lot of ways, and the ownership situation is still so weird to me, but he did a pretty good job, I think, Ray, over the last little while, at least making the Sens somewhat more competitive. Oh, for sure. I, so I look at two years ago, like, they were, they were in the bottom of the well. Like, they, okay, you're rebuilding, or whatever teams want to call it, rebuild, retool, whatever. They were in the bottom of the well, and they had a little bit of a bounce last year. I thought DJ Smith brought some enthusiasm, some um, a newness to him as the new coach, and they started to play with a lot more vigor to their game. Like, they looked like they were in the game. Now, they're only going to win so many games because they're young and inexperienced and not as, quite as talented, right? Like, that sounds like a lot, but young and inexperienced can change if you have the right people. And I thought Dorian addressed several real difficult spots. You know, the trade for Matt Murray. Um, now, Murray had a down year, but they got him at a reasonable cap number. He's, uh, you know, from the area. I think that's a... A clear upgrade. They go out and sign Evgeny Dodonov um, from Florida. You know, doesn't create a big ripple. That guy's a good player. 30 goals last year again. He's a creative player. I can see him playing on the right wing with Brady Kachuk on the left, and you're like, man, that's, that's good stuff. Tim Stutzla, I've, you know, I saw him a lot at the World Juniors. I actually went for lunch with him last year, and he's an amazing kid. Like, they've got a winner there. Like I, I think Ottawa's done a has had a, an excellent offseason. Dorian did a, an excellent job, 
and now they they have that sense. I don't know if you guys feel it. Like seems to me like they have that that feel or that sense of a, a team on the climb. Absolutely. Yeah, just Melnick just needs to just stay quiet, remain quiet. Right. Although uh, they, uh, I saw a story come out, he's talking about building a new rink out where the old rink is, not downtown. Hey, hey, hey. I don't, I don't know how many times you guys have made that drive, but when Gord Miller and I make that drive <laughs> from from the hotel downtown into the teeth of traffic yeah. at, at 4 o'clock. You're like, yeah, I think we can get there for 5.15. <laughs> like, who's going to the game to drive for an hour and 15 minutes? Yeah, it's just, they had that LeBreton Flats. I mean, it's it's such a disaster that that didn't go through. But it, oh, it's, I, it's almost like, have you guys ever been to the rink in Florida? I no. no, I never have, actually. It's not in the... It's not in the middle of nowhere. It's like at the next exit. <laughs> like it is, it's forever to, to get out there like yeah. to that rink. It's a beautiful arena. Right. But it's like, it's like next to But isn't nothing. that, isn't that kind of Ray, isn't that kind of like Glendale? Like it's yes. not, right. Like that, my folks, I remember they went down and they're like, it, it, beautiful arena. There's cool stuff around it. It took us forever to get there. We couldn't drink and we could like, it was just. Yeah. Well. Okay. So, but just think of that. You're not. You're not going there again. Yeah. If it's work to go there. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's just. It's a deterrent, and that's the why that LeBreton Flats. That was just such a disaster. Hey, I've got to ask you about the Leafs. Um, they. You talked about target shopping. They obviously needed to get tougher. I like the mm-hmm. Bogosian Simmons, but and then they had Joe Thornton, which is just kind of like interesting. I guess. That that was interesting for me because. Um, you know, I don't know at this point in their careers how much different are Joe Thornton and Jason Spezza. I, it's so I kept thinking today about would they play them on the same? Like would they be on the fourth line together or something? And like maybe one of them slides over hey, look, to the wing or something. Look, Joe's going to the Hall of Fame, but that would be one of the slowest lines. <laughs> um, I, I, I like that they went that they had to get bigger, they had to get stronger, and. Um, the one question I do have with their additions, as you mentioned, is that um, none of them are very fast. Right. And so, I, you know, I, their fastest guys are in Pittsburgh and New Jersey, and yeah. Andreas Johnson and, and Kasperi Kapanen. Um, I, I do like that they, you know, in Thornton, that they added a little, I know it can be overblown, but like a, a little bit of leadership, a little bit of accountability. Like when Joe's in a locker room, you're going to hear his voice. It's going to be a, a more fun place, but it's also going to be, um, you know, he's he's going to he's going to hold people accountable. Now he's not the player he used to be, of course not. I mean, father father time wins every time, and he's 41 years old. But I I don't know how they're going to make it work, how they all fit the pieces in. Mm, yeah. But I do I do like that they they committed to trying to. Uh, to get a little more balance in their lineup. And I would say this is a, a departure point for uh, for Kyle Dubas, who has never really talked about this much. It's always been about speed and skill and don't worry about size. And yet we saw in Tampa, you have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Like anything that is any good has balance. And, it, you know, between big and small, between fast and and strong, you know, like you've got to have balance. And they haven't had it. Tampa didn't. And, and I like what they've done. 
I now we'll see how it all works out. I do like you know T.J. Brody's an upgrade for them. That you know the defense is uh, you know it's a constant uh, concern point. Uh, I I think and and we'll we'll have to wait and see. But I think Miko Lettinen is a pretty good player. I liked him at the World Championships and and I I think he's better than probably most people think. Is is this the year Dubas starts to get nervous, or does he have a really long leash? Oh man, Dan, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, you only get so many kicks at the can. And what what's interesting here is that it's it's not just the the players that you know that Kyle's brought in. It's his vision. You know, like does Brendan Shanahan and and the you know the upper upper management believe in that vision? Because there's been no success so far. You know, there's a year of transition for sure, and but there's been, you know, they haven't won a playoff round. And there has to be, I, I think there has to be um, at least a step forward in that regard. The Winnipeg Jets, it's, oh man, it's all, it's such a, it's all like a roller coaster of emotion for their fan base because you get these line A, you know, his agents coming out saying, yeah, it'd probably be beneficial if you traded him. So then the Jets are in another Bufflin situation. But then at the draft, Perfetti just falls in their, into their laps at 10 and he's got a chip on his shoulder, Ray, and I just feel like he's going to fit in great there and he's going to do really well. Well, isn't that, this, those two examples are really, you know, pretty indicative of of what Kevin Chevaldeoff has had to dance around in Winnipeg. You know, from whether it be Bufflin or Jacob Truba, um, you know, and, and now it appears to be Line. Um, you know, that's that's tough stuff to deal with. But if you're if you're Chevaldeoff, you're you know, the one thing I I don't want to see is that he makes a trade for a first round pick and a uh, you know a couple of prospects and uh you know like you've got to get legit value back yeah like you're, you're trading away a, a potential 40 to 50 goal score you need you need something big back and uh, and and i think that's gonna that's gonna hamper that deal it, it's certainly in the in the near term as for cole perfetti that just that fits alongside of everything else that they've done when they've drafted you know like when you look at it, how did Kyle Connor get to 18? Exactly. Exactly. And you're like, oh, well, there he is, and thanks, we'll take him. And oh, he's a 35-goal yeah. scorer. Yeah. And, you know, Mark Scheifele's at seven. Mark's one of the better centermen in the league. You know, they got Josh Morrissey in the first round. The Jets have drafted well. Yeah. Um, they've gotten good value from some of their later picks. And, you know, everybody... I, I'm looking forward to seeing Perfetti this year, but everybody tells me about what a creator he is and how the people around him become more instantaneously dangerous and how he can finish and pass and how smart he is. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Oh, and just so he's, you know, he said at the draft, I, I, I've seen all these teams who have passed me up. I'm mm-hmm. like, this is great. This is, if you're the Jets, you love hearing that from a young player. He wants to prove himself. Um, oh, sorry, Dan. Before we let you go, Ray, uh, what are the rumblings you've heard from teams and owners? Are they terrified of playing with no fans next year and figuring out how the hell they'll ever make it work? Well, I, I think there's almost there's almost no appetite for an entire season of of no fans. Um, certainly, the you know they're hamstrung by what 
the medical community can do as far as coming up with a vaccine and once you get the vaccine how you get it into people's arms and you know and if you do that maybe do you start with no fans in january and um and gradually as time goes along you can socially distance five or six or seven thousand fans into a building and you know then maybe by the playoffs you can get more people in um but nobody nobody really has the appetite for bubbles again it just first of all it's incredibly expensive um it's tough to pull off although they did a remarkable job with it um they they want to need fans they want to need revenue um, there's a long way to go before this even gets close to getting off the ground. Um, let's go back because we're going to hear from the fan bases if we don't ask you about Calgary and Edmonton. Just what's your quick takeaway from what Calgary did and what Edmonton did, Ray? I'm my thing about the TJ Brody, to the Leafs thing. This is my question to you. I don't have an opinion on it. It's just my question. If he's such an upgrade for Toronto and Calgary needed D, why didn't Calgary keep him at that price? Well, I I would say the the one thing that Calgary has that you know Toronto didn't is uh, a youngster Yusuf Valamaki who missed the entire season last year. That kid's a good player. He blew his knee out, but that kid is good. Rasmus Anderson is good. Yeah. Um, they they chose to spend their money elsewhere, and I think a lot of it had to do with Valamaki. Also, uh, Oscar Shillington is has started to grow a little bit as a player, you know, into into a dependable NHL defenseman. So they're going to make some changes to get a, a little bit younger and a little bit more mobile, perhaps. Um, but at $5 million, they they probably just didn't feel that Brody could fit in there. Um, they changed Brody out for Chris Tanev. I think it's a year too long for Tanev. Man, I, I love how hard that guy tries, but, man, the guy gets hurt a lot. He He plays, you know, he plays a style that's, seems to put himself in harm's way a lot. Um, Vancouver wasn't going to go four years with Tanev. Markstrom is an absolute upgrade. Oh, yeah. That's um, huge for them. So, I mean, they, they've kind of dan- I thought Cam Talbot had a pretty good year last year, but they've danced around that goaltending position since Brad Treliving's been the general manager. Uh, this is the first legit number one guy they have. Markstrom's at the peak of his career. And then Edmonton gets Tyson Berry, which seems like... A great fit in a lot of ways for a player. Well, I'll tell you, you know, so he comes to Toronto. He's a power play guy. He doesn't play on the power play. <laughs> they want him to play a style that he doesn't really play, and predictably, the thing's a disaster. So now he goes to Edmonton, and okay, you're going to quarterback the power play, and your first two options are 97 and 29. <laughs> well, Tyson can do that. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I think to, to look at when we, you look at Tyson Berry is um, watch when they break out of the zone. Tyson will be into the rush, not pass and stand back. Right. Like he's in it. And I think he'll, he'll be given a, a little bit more leeway to do that, which early in the year, you know, that's not how Babcock wanted to get it done. He got better as the year went on, but it was a, the year was a mess for him. Real question at Edmonton, though, is, you know, is that goaltending going to be good enough for them? And again, we talked earlier about the cap, and you know, Ken Holland is, uh, you know, has been around the block more than a few times, and you got a goalie in Koskinen that makes four point five million dollars. You've only got so much money yeah. mm-hmm. to play paid to that position. I think he was kicking tires on everything, eh, Ray? And then it just it got. To the, he had to go back to Smith. He just had to. 
Well, you get to a point where you're like, I can't afford that guy, I can't afford this guy, I yep. can't afford this guy. Okay, so we're right back to where we started. I thought and the Leafs got a real deal on Aaron Dell in goal. Seven hundred grand? Yeah, for for their third guy? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And um you know, they're the, the Leafs are going to go as far as Freddie Anderson takes them. But remember last year when they had an injury, it was, you know, it, it was like all was hands Zamboni on deck. guy. <laughs> yeah. Could, could we get anybody? Yeah. Um, so this is, this is they're in, the Leafs themselves are in much better shape. Ray, this has been awesome. Just chatting with you. I love talking to you about skiing and uh, and and You hockey. must have a colorful coat, AJ, when you ski. I used to, when I was growing up, you know, like the sun ice, the super fluorescent sun oh, yeah. ice jackets. I Everybody had that. them. Oh, yeah, I rocked all that stuff. Now I'm all basic black and just trying to keep it as cool as possible. I'm basically trying to keep myself from killing myself up there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. that's always a good strategy. Yeah. You know what Manny's top speed was? He said like 149.7 going down a mountain. <laughs> that just blows my mind. Okay, like... You do realize if you fall, it's just you. There are no bumpers or anything, right? Well, he said you have to try let your body go limp to try limit the damage. Just imagine making that decision as you're as you're careening into a tree, Ray. Oh yeah, time to go limp. <laughs> okay, it's limpy time. <laughs> Holy, one forty-seven. Yeah, one forty-nine point seven. He's like, oh man, tickling one fifty. Craziness. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they are the crazy Canucks, right? They That's really right. are. They really yes, are. Yes, uh, that just just think of that though, like what it must feel like, like with the torque and the wind and the and you're going at that speed. Like, well, he said it's a combination of kind of being in control and being completely out of control at the same time. <laughs> that doesn't fit in my personality. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> uh, Ray, all our best to, to Cammy and the family, and uh, and hopefully we will see out this way sometime soon. Looking forward to that. Yeah, you bet, guys. I hope you guys are all well and everybody's uh, well in your world. And uh, thanks for having me on. And we'll get to, eventually we'll get somewhere back to normal. But the next thing for me is uh, into the bubble in Edmonton for three weeks and. See if I can drive Gord absolutely crazy <laughs> yes. in I like those your, three weeks. That I like is your my chances. goal for the World Juniors this year. <laughs> I like your chances. I really do. Yeah. I, really, <laughs> I think it's going to be a lot of fun, though. That's going to be great to see. Um, thanks, Ray. Have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, talk to you guys soon. Be well. Thanks, Ray. Um, it still baffles me, his, uh, his one year in Brandon. Oh, the greatest. 108 goals. Yeah. yeah. 100. And eight goals in 72 games. He finished with 192 points in the 83-84 season for the Brandon Wheat Kings. Just the Wheaties. Yeah. yeah. 408 goals in the NHL. 1,258 games played. Okay. Was Kelly McCrimmon there? No, I don't think he would have been. When Ray was there? Was oh. Kelly McCrimmon running Brandon when Ray was there? I don't know. Anyway, that's for another time. Uh, guys, thanks for listening to this one. I love this podcast. It was so fun to talk to Manny. It was great to talk to Ray about... I could have talked to Ray for another hour. But we got to go... Uh, we got to do an interview with Steve Phillips All about right. the World Series at 10. I'm not dressed. So we got to run. Thanks for listening. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Maybe. They're going home.
You're listening to the Jay and Dan Podcast. Brought to you by our friends at McDonald's. James Duffy presents the Rubber Boots Podcast. So we're sitting down at our table. The, the waiter comes up. And he's like profusely sweating. <laughs> and this is like 100% his first line to us. He goes, hello. I am not well. I'm very ill. <laughs> you ate there? I came down with it yesterday. I've just not been good. Not good at all. Get it at tsn.ca and anywhere you get your podcasts.